this sermon that was preached several, several years ago. And the beginning of it went like this. The pit is prepared. The fire is made ready. The furnace is now hot, ready to receive them. The flames do now rage and glow. The glittering sword is wet and held over them, and the pit has opened its mouth underneath them. O sinner, consider the fearful danger you are in. Those are the opening words of one of the most famous sermons in American history. A sermon by a guy named Jonathan Edwards called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And it seemed that in the great awakenings of which Jonathan Edwards was a part, that hell was on the mind of people a lot. People don't want to believe it anymore, or they choose to believe in a different version of it than they used to. The idea that God dispatches people to a place of eternal torment just because they don't believe the right things has become repulsive to many people. One uh, famous atheist of the 19th century said the idea of hell was born of revenge and brutality on one side and cowardice on the other. I have no respect for any human being who believes in it. I don't like the doctrine. I hate it. I despise it. I defy it. It is infamous beyond all power to express. On your handout, you've got a quote from another famous atheist, Bertrand Russell, who said that there's one very very serious defect in my mind in Christ's character. And that is that he believed in hell. I do not myself feel that any person who is profoundly humane can believe in everlasting punishment. You know what's interesting about the doctrine of hell is that it's not preached about as much as it used to be. It's not talked about as much as it used to be. But in spite of that, belief in hell is beginning to rise again. About 25 years ago, they did a poll and asked how many people believed in hell. And only about 50% of people said they did. They did a poll about five years ago. And what they found out is that 89% believe in heaven But startling to the researchers were that 73% believed in hell. Pope John Paul II, though, probably kind of gave a voice to those who rose in belief because what's happening is while people believe in it more, they don't believe in necessarily what Scripture teaches. Pope John Paul II said that it was more of a physical place. It was a place for those that defy them and separate themselves from God. It's a place of pain and frustration and of emptiness. Taking out any discussion of suffering. In response to that, one Southern Baptist said that while that would be a nice picture for some people, it is not the very real or the horrible picture that the Bible tells. In fact, he says, we have to be careful because we cannot air condition hell. We're in a series of sermons on frequently asked questions. ask about, the questions that you sent in, and uh, we have talked about in the last few weeks, when is Christ going to come back again, and last week we talked about what heaven was like, and on those cards that I got that ask about heaven, indefinitely, or, or inevitably, excuse me, there was this, uh, this question right around it that was, what is hell going to be like, or is God going to send people to hell, or what about those people that have never heard, will they go to hell, and they were questions about eternal matters. 
And when we come to a subject like hell, we really have two options that are wrong. One is we can get extreme in our description of it and get into lurid detail of everything that's going to be there and try to figure out what the flames are going to be like and try to figure out what people are going to be doing necessarily there. And while those questions are for debate, sometimes if we go too far there, we miss the glory of the gospel and the good news that is there. But on the other side, if we forget it all together, we also do a disservice to a very biblical teaching. In Luke chapter 16, we're going to use a story kind of as a background, and then we're going to walk through just some general ideas that Scripture teaches about hell. And let me tell you where we're going in this question about does God send good people to hell is we're going to talk about what hell is. We're going to talk about what it's like in some ways, what Scripture teaches. And then we're going to answer that question of whether God sends good people to hell. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple. You, you probably realize this, but in their day and time, the color purple was a symbol of royalty or prestige. You wore purple when you uh, were somebody of importance. He lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Now again, that's one of those cultural things. I know that some of you have dogs that lick your face on a daily basis, and that's a sign of love. That was not what was going on here. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in hell, where he was in torment... He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And he said, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses, they have the prophets, let them hear. But Abraham, if someone from the dead goes in, they will repent. And he says, even if someone rises from the dead, they won't be convinced. Now, we could talk here this morning about the foreshadowing Jesus gives here that even after his resurrection, people wouldn't believe in him. We could talk about people's stubbornness, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But what I want you to get as we begin this discussion this morning, what we see in this passage of Scripture is that the Bible is very clear that hell is real. The Bible is very clear that hell is real real. Last week we had the privilege of talking about heaven. And one of the things we said at the very beginning is that heaven is a place. Now as again, we talked about it's not one of those places that you can go to. You can't fly a spaceship far enough. The Hubble telescope will never see it. But it's a place. Even though we can't understand exactly how it's a place, the scripture teaches it's a place. Well, in the same way that we can't 
figure out exactly where heaven is, although it's a real place. Hell is a real place. Now, you cannot dig deep enough into the earth to get to hell. It's not underneath us. It's not in a place that you can find. Nobody can go there. But that doesn't mean it's not a real place. Scripture teaches that it is a place that is prepared for those that reject the Lord. Now, understand, it is a place that is prepared for those that reject the Lord as humans and those that were His servants in heaven as well. Satan and his followers. It's a real place. Now, how do we know it's a real place? Four things. First of all, the Bible teaches it. We're not going to go through all the verses because to do that, we would have to go through 162 verses. And we're not going to do that this morning. Is that okay with everybody? Okay. 162 verses are in the Scriptures that talk about hell. But even more important than that, Jesus teaches it. Seventy times Jesus talks about hell. In fact, Jesus talks about hell more than He talks about heaven. The Greek word that is translated most often for hell is the word Gehenna. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later. But just know this, that in the New Testament, the word Gehenna is used twelve times. Jesus uses it eleven of those times. In Matthew 5, He tells people to be afraid of Gehenna. Here in chapter 16, he tells this whole parable, and it's almost like he opens up. Now, you know, one of the things that I talked about last week with heaven is that the reason it was so hard to describe is that none of us had been there, right? We make sure nobody's been to heaven, right? We make sure. That makes it difficult. Here's the thing about Jesus Jesus had been there, right? This means yes. Are you with me? He was there. He had been there. And so he rips open to say, this is what it's kind of like. He shows them for a second. And when he does, not only does he show them the picture of heaven, but the more important picture he shows them is the picture of hell. He teaches on the subject. Vance Havner was one of those preachers of the early 1900s who was a Southern Baptist kind of icon. He was one of those guys that trained up guys like Adrian Rogers. And Vance Havner uh, tells the story of one time being at a country church preaching, and he went out and did some visiting. And he went out to a farm. And uh, in this rural area, he was out by the farm, and the farmer was out plowing the field. And he stopped him, and he talked to him, and he said, you know, just talking about it. And the farmer said, preacher, i got one bit of advice for you. Well, what's that, Vance said? And he said, here's my bit of advice. I would wish that you would stop preaching so much fire and brimstone. He said, and I wish you would begin to focus on Jesus meek and mild. And Vance said, sir, I would do that except for one thing. Jesus, meek and mild, is the one that gave me all the information on hell to begin with. Jesus taught it. Here's the third thing. Calvary demands it. Think about this for a minute. If there wasn't some place like hell if there wasn't some punishment for you and I, for those of us that didn't believe in Jesus, if there wasn't some place for those people that rejected God, that went in their own direction, that sinned, then what in the world was Calvary for? You see, the minute you begin to devalue hell, you begin to devalue the cross. 
Charles Haddon Spurgeon says, if you think lightly of hell, soon you'll think lightly of the cross and its sacrifice for our sins. And here's the last thing. Justice demands it. Romans is one of those interesting books that lays out full theology and then gives some application. And in the midst of the theology section, it gives us a reason that Jesus died. And it talks about in there that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we wrote Romans 3.23 pretty well. But this afternoon you ought to go back and read all of Romans chapter 3. Because after that it starts to say that because of what Christ did on the cross, because of His death, because of who He was, then God didn't have to overlook the sins of people any longer. You see, the reality is we know God to be a loving God. We know God to be a perfect God. We know God to be a holy God. But Scripture also teaches that God is a just God. And within each and every one of us, there is this internal understanding of justice. That when somebody does something wrong, they ought to be punished for it. The reality is that when I watch television at night and I see the the, uh, crime that is on the television that's happening here in our community, that's happening in communities around us or nationwide, worldwide, they really, we have this internal understanding that punishment has to be there. We also, and this is interesting, have an internal understanding that there ought to be more than just physical, earthly punishment for some things. Do you know when the hell began to rise in belief in this country, when the belief in hell began to rise again? Studies show that it happened around October of 2001. Anybody remember September the 11th, 2001? Suddenly people within them had this sense of justice that there has to be something for people that would have that kind of life. That it can't just be that they end. There has to be. Within us there's this sense of justice. And that comes from God's character. And He is a just God. And if He just overlooked the sins of people, if He just overlooked our shortcomings, then He would not be a holy and just God. And as a result, hell has to be real. You see, we have to understand that inequities in life Continue in eternity. Look what happens in this passage that we looked at. Lazarus is there, and it tells us the status. You had this rich man, dressed in purple, great life, you know, lived in luxury every day. Then you had this other guy, Lazarus, covered with sores, longing to eat. He got the bad lot. There are a lot of things in life we can't control. And what happened here is you have the rich man that was probably born into that position. We're not told that. That's a little speculation. But may have been born into that position, may have been given his position. But whatever happened, circumstances in life allowed him to be at this place. What we have in Lazarus. Now, realize that's probably not, he's not talking about Lazarus, his friend. This is a parable he's telling, but Lazarus in this case probably just arrived at that place. He didn't ask for the sores. He didn't ask to be poor. He didn't ask to be a beggar. And so you have these two people on opposite ends. When they get to heaven, however, the guy that had lived his life with no regard for the Lord is the man that is living in eternal torment. And the one that lived his life, even in his saddest state, with the discovery of who the Lord is got put in the highest place possible. Life had been reversed. Inequities were not there. Justice demands it. Here's the second thing. 
second point this morning is, not only does we realize that hell is real, but we also realize that hell is eternal. And we're going to talk in just a minute about suffering and torment and what that means and, and all of that. But what we understand here is Scripture teaches pretty clearly that hell is eternal. There's this belief out there now that it's called annihilationism. That sounds like a good church, big word there. Annihilationism. Annihilationism says that when we die, we're just dead, gone. Our candle goes out. If you don't live for the Lord, there are even Christians that say this. If you didn't accept Jesus, when you die, you're just snuffed out. And everybody else gets to have eternal life. But Scripture teaches the opposite, that when we die, we don't, while all of us experience physical death, we don't experience our soul being annihilated. And as a result, we understand that hell is eternal. Now this is where some of the discussions about hell get pretty frightening. Because people can think, if I can... I could suffer for a little bit. But to think that suffering or separation would go on and on and on and on and on is disconcerting. I mean, the reality is most of us in this room today probably have little things that we are suffering through. This past uh, Friday, you know, Eli started school last week which his first week of school, he got to go for two and a half hours. That's how they do the phase-in process. So he thinks school is unbelievable. Two, two and a half hour weeks he can handle. And so on Friday, we had bought at the youth auction uh, some, some tickets to Nashville Shores. And we bought these tickets to Nashville Shores. And so Friday, it was the last day they were open. We were going to lose them if we didn't use them. So we went out there. And at Nashville Shores, I don't know if you've been lately, it's the water park thing, and we were having a good time. We were going down the slides. We were in the pool. We were having a good time. Weren't many people there. Not that hot. It was great. But at Nashville Shores, they have this one pool that on the top of the pool, they have this huge bucket. Anybody been there? Anybody seen it? Let me see your hands. All right. They got the huge bucket, and water fills the bucket. And when the bucket gets full, the bucket tips over, and it dumps out into the pool. Well, Eli was there, and his friend Gray was there as well, and uh, we, we said, let's go over there and stand by that pool. And so we stood by it, and at the beginning, they were kind of on the sides and just watching. And after about the third time it had dumped, I thought to myself, wouldn't it be a cool thing for Eli and his daddy to go stand under that thing while it dumps out the water? And so I said, Eli, do you want to do that? And Eli, trusting his dad completely, said, Absolutely. This is what I noticed after the bucket dumped on us. Is that everyone that was there getting dumped on had their back turned and were bent over when it hit. Again, I noticed that after Eli and I had our turn. So I picked up Eli, held him there, got excited like a dad is supposed to do. Oh, the bucket's coming, it's tipping over. Here it comes, here it comes. And then the bucket tipped. I don't remember exactly what position my head and my eyes and everything were in. All I remember is 45 seconds later or so, maybe not, maybe a couple of seconds, I'm staggering in the back of the pool trying to stay up. 
Krista Steelman, who was there watching Gray, who had, had wisely stayed at the back of the pool, said, that thing almost knocked you down. I said, exactly, it did. That, that was not a wise decision. Well, here's what happened. After that day, we came, we had a Sunday school uh, rally that night, had a great weekend this weekend. My head was pounding. My eyes were hurting. Now, it was minor, but it was an inconvenience. You know, sometimes people say it was minor pain. That's only when it's somebody else's pain, right? Any pain is not minor when it's you. But here's the wonderful thing. I was suffering a little bit, so I went to the magic pill called Tylenol. I took it, and the pain went away. I was Saturday morning as I was reliving some of that experience. I was looking over my sermon notes. And I thought, even that minor pain, if I knew it wouldn't stop, would have been unbearable. Even that little nagging headache, if I knew it wouldn't stop, would be unbearable. You know, sometimes people make ridiculous statements. Like, you know... I don't mind going to hell because all my friends are going to be there anyways and we'll just have a good time down there. Now, we know that's ridiculous. They know it's ridiculous. It just means they don't believe in the hell that the Bible teaches. Because it is eternal, never-ending. And what makes that even worse is number three is that Scripture teaches hell is a place of torment. Hell is a place of torment. It's a place where this suffering will go on and on and on. And it's not just, just uh, you know, the suffering isn't just physical. There are different kinds of torment. In fact, we're going to talk about a few times. But in Scripture, hell is described in a lot of ways that gives us insight into the way that, that we can understand what the anguish will be like. First of all, we understand that hell will involve emotional anguish. In fact, the word Gehenna that is used and described as hell, described in New Testament days a literal valley. And that literal valley of Gehenna was a place where it was the trash dump. It was outside of Jerusalem. It was this, this place that was a trash dump. And it is said that there were always fires burning in Gehenna. And what people would say is that you... You are only worthy of Gehenna in daily language, not talking about the proper place of hell, meant that it is just simply that you were trash, that it was okay to be thrown out. And so one of the realities we have about hell is that people that end up there will realize that they are people who have little or no worth anymore. I mentioned a lot of times uh, my trips to Brazil, and one of the first things that, that, that burned in my, my head that made me want to do international missions so passionately and something that makes me want to go back again and again to Brazil or to other places happened the first trip I ever went to when we got there and I was sitting at a table talking to this little girl and through an interpreter we were having this, this, this discussion and she was no more than six or seven years old and she had a little difficulty with her eye and you could tell that, that she needed some medical attention there. She was at this orphanage obviously because her parents had given up on her and so I was just talking with one of the leaders and said she is such a precious girl. And they said, well you'd be amazed 
how different she is than when she came. And so we began to talk through that. And I said, well, 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 what's changed? She said, well, she finally feels love in her life. She feels useful in life. She doesn't feel like trash. I said, well, what made her think she was trash? And she said her parents literally left her there about a year ago. They put her out with the trash, literally. And I talked about the emotional healing that came from understanding that she was loved. Now the reality is, we're going to talk in a minute about the fact that people make choices to end up in hell, so it's not like they're thrown there against their own will. But what happens here in Scripture is it shows us that it will be a place where there will be emotional anguish like you have never experienced before. One of the pictures in Scripture is that there will be gnashing of teeth. Now, I know that in our language and in our day, we don't talk about gnashing teeth very much. And when I think about that, people think, well, that's a physical thing. But really, gnashing of teeth was something that, that was talked about with an idea that, that you, you missed something. It's like um, somebody has, has, has compared it to, to when, you're, when you've spent all day cooking or preparing a meal and you put it in the oven and something comes up in the last ten minutes and as you go and take it out of the oven, it's been in the oven ten minutes too long, and you pull it out, and it's burned to a crisp, and all your work is out the door, and you just go, ah! It's like when you're in a sporting event, and it's in the game, and, and your team is playing for the championship, and you're down by five points, and you're on the goal line, and the quarterback drops back, and he throws it to the wide receiver, and you're watching as you're seeing this game unfold, and you're living with every play that is happening and the receiver stretches his arms into the air and the ball flutters right through the fingertips and falls. Ah! It's when you're in Nashville traffic on the way to downtown and you turn that corner and the red lights are all in front of you. Amen? Now here's the thing. In general, there's another meal to cook. There's another pass to catch and another day to drive. But the emotional anguish in hell will come from missed opportunities you had on earth that you can never get back. One of the great things about the life that we live is that we constantly have second chances. I'll tell you today, as I'm driving home, I will self-evaluate what happened in this service. I do it every Sunday. I'm the most critical critic I have. And there'll be something that I'll get in my car and I'll think, man, I wish I had used that illustration. Or why didn't I, I forgot to say that. And I wish I would have done that. And I'll realize there may have been a missed opportunity there. Now, I trust the Lord enough that sometimes He makes me forget. But I'll relive it and I'll know that, you know what? The reality is in hell, those missed opportunities are missed for eternity. And the ultimate thing is that somebody in hell will sit there and think, I should have known better. Jesus is the Son of God, and I knew it. I had the opportunity. I understood it. I had that moment, and yet I chose not to believe. If I could just go back one more time. The emotional torture. Emotional torment. Secondly, there will be physical torment. Physical anguish. Hell is described as fire, flames, furnace. 
the heat is so intense, the flames are so intense, whatever, whatever they actually look like or feel like, whatever is actually there, the physical nature is so intense that when we get to this passage of Scripture, listen to what he wants. The rich man, all that he wants is for Lazarus. Now think about this. To dip the tip of his finger in water and cool his tongue with that. We know that our momentary physical ailments, for the most part, are going away. And for those of us that believe in Jesus, even when we are racked with, with uh, disease or illness, that will never go away. Even when we are racked with something that we know until death is going to be with us, we know that Scripture promises, as we talked about last week, that it will all be healed in time. But in hell, there's no such promise. Here's the third thing. It's not only emotional torment, not only torment, but relational torment. Scripture teaches that hell will be like solitary confinement for eternity. Now think about that for a minute. You know, prisoners that have done heinous crimes are sometimes put in solitary confinement. And the reason they put them in solitary confinement is because they think that is the worst possible punishment outside of the death penalty that you can do. And just imagine that what will happen in hell is that it will be like solitary confinement. Now, will people be around and know each other in hell? I don't know. I don't know. Scripture's not as clear about what people will be doing in hell as it does talking about heaven and seeing and all of that. But what we do understand is, even if they're there, relationships are going to be so fractured that there won't even be relationships. Last time we talked about heaven, we talked about the relational aspects of heaven and that you won't ever have to worry about where you stand with people and there won't be any of the deception and backbiting and gossip and all of that won't be there. Well, imagine in hell when all of those restraints have been set free and so that is everywhere. It will be relational torment. And here's the last thing. It will be spiritual torment. Hell is a place where God's absence conspicuous. Now, does that mean He doesn't know what's going on? No, He knows. I mean He doesn't uh, understand what's happening? No, He's aware of it. Does that mean that He couldn't go there? No, He could go there. But He pulls His presence away. Let me just tell you some ways that they describe hell. One is as a place of utter darkness. I mentioned Nashville Shores. They have one of those slides there that, that is dark on the inside. Almost pitch black dark for the whole time. You know, I'm not a person that's scared of the dark. I don't have to have a night light most nights. I, I, I'm not somebody that walks through the dark tenderly afraid something's going to be around the corner. But in that slide, I was ready for the daylight to come. I didn't know what was coming. Every turn you were going, no light. Just pitch black, you're just going around. Well, Scripture teaches that hell is a place of utter darkness, which means that it is complete chaos. means there is no control. means you're not in control of your own life. You have absolutely no idea what you're doing, why you're doing, when you're doing it. It is complete darkness. It, it talks about it being the bottomless pit. Well, that sounds good, doesn't it? 
falling. And every moment you fall further and further, but you never get to the end. You ever have one of those dreams where you're falling? Anybody ever had one of those? Let me see. I just want to see, okay? I've had them. Those are good dreams, aren't they? Enjoy those. No, you don't enjoy them. It describes hell as a place where you feel like you're falling all the time without ever getting it. It describes it as a place of suffering, of torment, without end. Here's the last thing for today. Hell is a place, it's eternal, it's a place of torment. And here's the last thing. Hell is filled with good people. Hell is full of good people. Scripture makes it very clear that there is only one way to heaven, but there are many ways to hell. Last week we talked about that Jesus, as He's leaving the earth, tells them that there is only one way to get to heaven. The only place to get to where He is going is through Him, belief in Him, understanding Him. We know in Acts 4.12 it says that there is no other name under heaven by which men may be saved except through the name of Jesus Christ. Believing in who He is, why He came, what He did, putting our trust completely in Him. That is it. And there are going to be billions of people who were good in the world's eyes. That if you put their accomplishments side by side compared to other people, they're not as bad as Hitler. They're not as bad as terrorists. They're not as bad as this group. They're not as bad as that person. If you put them on human terms, you could say they were good people. But Scripture teaches that good is not good enough. And so the question, does God send good people to hell? Yes, He does. And people say, well, well, pastor... But really, it's those people that send themselves to hell. And the truth is, you're right. But God ultimately is the final decider. And when they choose not to accept His Son, that's their destination. But somebody will say to me, but pastor, you didn't know my whoever. Just for the, just for the sake of argument, let's call her Aunt Edna. Okay? Somebody will say, but, but pastor, you didn't know Aunt Edna. She was nice. She never hurt anybody. She paid her taxes. She baked cookies for the grandkids. She took in stray cats. And I think she's a good person. Now, she's never gone in much for the church thing or the Bible thing or the God thing. So do you mean to tell me that just because she didn't come to a place in her life where she accepted Christ, that she's going to spend eternity frying in hell? I believe in a God, but not God. The God I believe in is a God of love, a God of compassion, and He would never, ever send someone like my dear Aunt Edna to hell. Sounds like a pretty good argument, doesn't it? Here are the problems. You see, when she was very, very young, every once in a while, maybe at Christmas or at Easter, especially in a country like this, Aunt Edna would hear the story of a God who loved her. God would whisper to her through that story. You can learn about me. I, I, I love you. I want you to be my child. I want you to know more about me. But she decided not to. It may not have been an overt decision. She may not have verbalized it, but she just decided she wasn't going to do that. And there were times in her life when she would 
walk and see a sunset or wake up and see a beautiful new day. And she would think, maybe there's a God that created all this and I need to get to know Him. But she would make a little decision and say, not today. There were times when she did something wrong and because and is no more perfect than you and I, she would get whispered through her conscience. You know you can be forgiven. You need to be forgiven for something like that. You need to confess and acknowledge and repent. And Edna would not listen to her conscience and would not bend the knee and she would not repent of that sin. As she grew older, more of the people she knew began to struggle with health issues and began to die. And at every funeral, she was confronted with her own mortality. And God would whisper to her. She would hear about in her mind that eternity was planted in your heart and that this fear of death was something that was supposed to lead her to God. And she would listen but would make a decision. She would say, I will not say yes. I will be the captain of my own life. So Aunt Edna got to the end of her life. Maybe she never said it outwardly, but the truth is that she had said no to God thousands of times. She had locked the door of her heart over and over and over again. And she didn't want to confess to Him, submit to Him, worship Him, or serve Him. All she wanted to do was to be left alone. And at the end of her life, God granted her her wish. She passed away, and and Edna, if she never came to an understanding of who Jesus is, breathed her last breath here and entered into eternity without Christ. 